Amen. Have a seat. Well, good morning. Are you ready? I'm ready. This is one of those days, man. I'm just ready. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT, and I know there's some new people in the room today. So my name is JT. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so thankful that you're here today. And I always say this to the newer people. I know, I know our members get sick of hearing it, but we want Freshwater to be a safe place that you can ask any question. And so you're not supposed to have questions, but if you have any questions about who we are as a church, why we do what we do, what you're going through, questions about God, man, please ask those because... What a dumb thing it is that so many of us go to churches and we pretend like everything's great when life is not always great. Like Jesus is the answer to our suffering. He's also the answer to our joys. And so we want Jesus to be that. We want the church to be a family that goes through things together, not act, pretends like this is a country club that we come and pay our dues and get what we need for the day and then go home. Let's, let's be a family. Amen? Amen. All right. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to up to Philippians chapter three, Philippians chapter three. If you're kind of new to the Bible, Philippians is almost all the way to the back. It's about 85% of the way through and it's a small book. So if you see Ephesians or Galatians or Colossians, you're, you're right. You're right there in the right area. That's where we're going to pick up today. Um, but we have something kind of unique today. So before we jump in, I want to make sure everybody knows this, that right after service, we have a members meeting. We have what we call a family meeting, right? And so if you're a member at Freshwater, please don't run out. I'm actually only preaching 25, 30 minutes today. Somebody can time it, right? Um, when I start preaching, not yet. Um, I'm preaching short today. We only did two songs to start off with um, because we only have the building until 12 o'clock, right? We, we want to try to honor that. We don't want to keep Rhonda here later, but we'll also we rent the space so we don't have the time. So we're going to try to keep this thing efficient. And so if you're here today and you're not a member, one, if you're interested in becoming a member, come talk to me. We're going to have a membership class not too long in the future, or you can just have dinner with my wife and I, and we can walk through the membership process with you. We've done that with a few people, right? So come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about what membership is and why we do membership. Um, it's really about committing to the family, right? I'm committed to this family. I'm going to let that, the family be committed to me. But that being said, if you're not a member, I'm going to say this really lovingly. Um, if you want to hang out and talk, would you move out to the lobby or out front? I'd never say that. We want Freshwater to be a place. Hang out and talk and have a good time. But we have to be efficient today because, we only, again, we want to honor um, Rhonda. We want to on, honor our contract. And so we, just, we only have so much time. Next week, come back, and you can talk as long as you want. We'll just hang out, and we'll have a good old time. But for members, um, if you need to grab your kids, grab your kids. I know we're, we're watching kids in the back, so you don't need to go grab them. But, um, man, gr grab your coffee, go to the bathroom, and then come right back in. And Denver, say this again at the end, right? Members, when this is over, I know a lot of you like to sit in the back, but during the family meeting, I want everybody on the front row, right? I want to be a steal. I want to take off my mic and be able to talk. If you have a family, sit on the back row-ish, but let's get, let's get close so that we can all just kind of sit and talk, because um, after I'm preaching, I'm tired too. I don't want to have to talk too loud at the members meeting. All right, anyway. Um, okay, so let's jump in today. If you haven't been with us, like I said, we've been walking through, we call it the book of Philippians, but really, you may not know this, but Philippians is a letter. Right? It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to an actual church in the city of Philippi. It's a church that Paul started, and you could technically say he's still the pastor of, but he left other pastors, elders in charge as he's left. And so now Paul is in prison, and he's writing back to this church to encourage them, to share his love for them, to share the love of Christ with them, to encourage them in some of their struggles, some of the hard things that they're going through, and, and really just to let them know that although these hard things are happening to me, God is good, I rejoice, and I rejoice in you too. And so Paul is always thinking about them. And what, what Paul is doing in the part of the letter that we're in right now, over the last few weeks, what Paul has really been doing is laying out what is 
basically the main goal of his life. And a really easy way to sum up the main goal of Paul's life is this, to gain Christ. That's the most important thing to him, to gain Christ. Because if he gains Christ, everything else starts to fall into place. And so he said things that, that he counts everything in his former life before Jesus and even things in his life as garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is that good, that he counts everything else as garbage. He, he's talked about how he's, he, he not only he wants to gain Christ, but he wants to know Christ and that he wants to live in the power of his resurrection right now. The power that raised Christ from the dead, that we get to live in that power as resurrected followers of Jesus Christ. And he says that he's also living for the day when he knows he'll be welcome home. When Jesus will welcome into eternity and into his glory and he'll truly gain Christ once and forevermore. This is the most important thing in Paul's life. And this also just happens to be in direct contrast to what some false teachers have been trying to say to the Philippian church in Paul's absence, trying to lead them astray. They've been telling the church in Philippi, they've been teaching to other churches like Philippi, listen, to be right with God, you, you not only have to follow God's commands, you not only have to follow the Jewish traditions, you not only have to be circumcised, you not only have to follow all of these different things that, the Jew, that, that God gave specifically to the Jews, but it seems that these false teachers have also, also been teaching that you basically have to be perfect to really be righteous before God. For God really to want you, you need to be perfect, perfectly righteous. So in the end, what this accounts to are these false teachers are basically preaching the opposite of the gospel, the opposite of what Paul has taught them, that we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. It's Ephesians 2, go and read it. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And so Paul's been addressing this. And so what he's going to do today is in a very personal way. And remember, this is very personal to Paul. This is not only him teaching them, but like this is his family. He has given his, you know, his sweat, his, his blood, his tears for this family of God that he loves so dearly. What Paul's going to do in a very, very personal way is not only correct this idea from the false teachers that our righteousness comes from our works, but his point is to point us to how to fully embrace the gospel so that we might actually live in the power of Christ's resurrection and most importantly, we might gain Christ and understand what it means to gain Christ. And so that's where we're going today. So if you got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and open them up to Philippians 3. And we're going to start in verse 12 today. Philippians 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this. And so just the passage before, he's talking about the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that line. Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so let's talk about this word obtained. Um, if you weren't aware, the Bible was originally, the New Testament in particular, was originally written in, the Greek, in Greek language. And in the Greek, obtain means to obtain. Another way it could be translated is to take hold of, to grasp. But here's the word I really like for today because it, it matches our passage so well. It means to gain. Not that I've already gained this. As, I, as I've already said, Paul said that the aim of his life, other than making much of Christ, is to gain Christ and in gaining him become more like him. But what Paul, it's really interesting, if you think about it, who Paul is and who these Jewish leaders are, because Paul is making the point here, he's making it clear, I haven't obtained this yet. I, I don't fully have this yet. I'm not perfect. 
See, this kind of flies in the face of Paul's former life, doesn't it? Because if you've been with us in Paul's former life, he thought as a Pharisee, as a religious leader before he knew Jesus, like he thought he was doing everything right. He, he said, as to the law, as to following God's commands, blameless, righteous. I was, he thought, I, he thought he was perfect. So it's in, in, what Paul's saying is actually in direct contrast to his former life, but it's also very likely a contradiction to what the teachers, the false teachers are trying to teach the church in Philippi that's causing so much so many problems. So I think what Paul is saying is that for the follower of Christ, perfection is not the goal. You think you agree with that? It's kind of a dangerous statement because we actually are striving towards perfection. That's what we're striving towards, but perfection, being perfect, is not the goal. And I want you to think about who's saying this. Paul, we think about his former life and of being a Pharisee and persecuting Christians, if you didn't know that, approving of the killing of Christians, and then God saved him. He didn't do anything. God saved him. But at this point, at the point of the writing of Philippians, he's probably been a follower of Jesus for about 20 years. Paul has done absolutely amazing things for God. He's seen unbelievable miracles. Paul's got a picture of heaven. He got to see heaven. How many people actually saw into heaven? Paul saw into heaven. He's planted so many churches. He's done so much for the gospel. If anyone could be perfectly righteous before God, if anyone could attain at least close to being perfect, don't you think it would be Paul? But Paul is saying that I haven't obtained this yet because Paul knows that our faith is not about us attaining perfection on this side of heaven. It's about gaining more and more and more Christ. It's gaining more of the character, more of the power of Christ being transformed in his image. Because in the end, this is what scripture is teaching us. He is our perfection. You're not perfect? Well, welcome to the club. That's why Jesus came. He is our perfection. He is our righteousness. It is by his grace that we are transformed into all that we could be and all that we should be. All that we should be and all for the sake of the glory of God. Listen, more Christ, not perfection, is our goal. And I don't mean more Christ for salvation. If you're a believer in here, you've already got as much Christ as you could possibly get for the, for the sake of your, of your salvation, and your position before God is righteous. God sees you, if you're a Christian, as holy, righteous, blameless, not as a broken sinner, but as a perfect saint. He sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about gaining Christ, we're not talking about gaining salvation. We're talking about gaining Christ to be transformed, to be more like Christ, practical righteousness, as opposed to positional righteousness. Does that make sense? Positionally, we're righteous before God. Practically, we all know that we're not. Well, we're not. And in gaining Christ, we move closer and closer to that, not just positional righteousness, which we already have, but practical righteousness. And that comes through gaining Christ. So in the end, again, our goal is not perfection. It is more Christ. Listen, church, we think of sin as slavery, don't we? Well, if you don't, we should, because that's how the Bible communicates it. Like being enslaved to our own, our own desires, our own sins, our own whims, enslaved to what the world tells us, that, that it's slavery that holds us and binds us. We should think of it that way. But I th maybe you know this, but do you, as, as often as you think of sin as slavery, do you think of the law as God's commands as slavery? Scripture describes the law in the wrong context as slavery also. Because here's the thing, trying to be good enough for God or just good enough for yourself, that either leads to one of two ways. If you follow that path all the way, it leads to one of two things. Either extreme self-righteousness and being judgmental and not displaying Jesus, or it can lead and does lead, if you follow that path far enough, to pretty desperate self-condemnation, right? To not liking who you are. 
But here's the thing. Either way, it's a path to making your faith more about you than about Jesus Christ, making it more about ourselves than about the one who gave his all, who gave his life so that we could not only be saved, but be transformed and be welcomed into God's family forever. It prevents us. Self-righteousness and depravity prevent us from becoming the image bearers of Christ that we can be, that we should be, that he's calling us to be. Now, because it's God's work that transforms us. That's the point we're making today, right? It is God's work. He is the foundation. He is the rock. It is God's work that makes us righteous. It is God's work that transforms us because it's by faith and not by works that we're actually made right before God. Do you think Paul puts so much focus on that? Do you think Paul is saying that we don't really have to worry about God's commands? We don't really have to worry about doing good works because Jesus has already done all the work. Is that what Paul's saying? It can almost sound like that sometimes, and people actually accuse Paul of saying that. But of course, Paul's not saying that. No, Paul says, I'm not perfect, but I press on. All right, I press on. Again, this phrase in the Greek is the same phrase that Paul used when he described how he used to persecute the church with zeal. Press on, that, that context, press on. What it means is passionate commitment. It means giving your everything, going after it with everything in you. So in the same way that, that Paul used to formally track down, throw Christians in jail, approve of their killing, he's now serving Christ with everything in his life, with total commitment. And you know why? Paul is giving his all. I mean, listen, Paul has given up everything. He has done anything to gain more Christ, to follow Christ. And you know why he says he does that? Because Christ has made Paul his own. Paul knows very deeply what God, what Christ has done for him. In all Paul's suffering and all of his journeys and everything that he's done, it's been affirmed to him more and more of just how good Christ is. Paul is very aware of how desperately lost he was in all the things that Jesus Christ has did for him and has done for him. So Paul is fully committed, and he is now willing to give anything. He is willing to suffer. He is willing to look at everything else in his life as it's crazy, as garbage, for the joy, for the privilege, for the pleasure, for the glory of knowing Jesus Christ more. Now, we can hear that truth. We can believe that truth, but I think it's difficult for many of us. Because for a lot of us, we just can't help but defining ourselves by our performance. We just can't help it. And, and we've talked about this before, but we'll talk about it again. Why wouldn't we define ourselves by performance? Because everything else in our life does that same thing, right? School and sports, our jobs. Listen, how we get raises at our jobs, how we get promoted at our jobs, how, and even how, how we look at ourselves and other people look at us, and even in raising our kids, right? It's about how we're performing for our kids, how our kids are doing in school, how our kids are exceeding. It's all about performance, right? Because when you're Hudson's age, Sports are, maybe even Titus's age, when, when you play sports, it maybe is not about performance, right? It's about the joy of it. It's about having a good time. But you, when you get a little bit older, maybe to Parker's age or start a little bit older than that, even for kids, like it starts becoming about how well you perform and people view you by how well you perform. And then you get into high school, you start to get to my, my, my kid's age, to Jack's age, 17, 18, right? It's like whether you get cut or you make the team is all about how you perform. Why wouldn't we base our lives around how we perform? It's how we judge, and we judge ourselves and judge others in almost every other aspect of life. So we define ourselves based on how awesome we think we're doing, which just leads to self-righteousness. Again, making even our obedience about us, 
or we condemn ourselves because we're not good enough. And that leads to guilt and that leads to shame and that leads to apathy. And as I have seen so often, you keep following that path of I'm not good enough, I don't do enough, uh, why aren't I better? It leads to you questioning your faith. I've seen that over and over again. Making it your faith about your failures and how you're not good enough leads to the questioning of faith. The enemy so effectively convinces us that our identity is really about what we have or haven't done. And so much around us confirms that. So a really important question comes, how do we define ourselves not that way, but start defining ourselves through the lens of gaining Christ? And then that's the most important thing about us is that we have Christ and we're gaining Christ. So I think what God wants to do today through Paul is to try to show us that. Like how do we make ourselves, our lives, our identity how we define ourselves about Jesus. Read verse, we're going to read verse 13 and 14 in Philippians chapter 3, but I want to start in verse 12. I want to see, see it in the whole context. So Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it up my own, but one thing I do. That's an important phrase, right? But one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. There's that I press on again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul just doubles down on his lack of perfection here. He says it again. He says, I have not made this my own yet. And then he follows with one of the most important words in the Bible. Whenever you see this word, almost always, not always, but almost always, it's super important. It's the word but. Because all the time, Scripture will lay out this bad news or this struggle or this way we can't possibly measure up, and this, where it seems hopeless, where we don't understand, and then, but. So Paul is like, I'm not perfect. What he's saying is, I still sin. I'm not what I could be. I'm not what I should be, but one thing. And if, Paul, if anybody in Scripture, but especially Paul says, but one thing, you better pay attention to what that one thing is. And he says, but one thing. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to the upward call of God. So it's one thing, but it's got two parts to it. Let's talk about them really quickly. One, forgetting. Forgetting what lies behind it. I, I was hesitant to say this, but I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say this is one of my favorite verses. I'm not saying that. But it's true. This has been one of the most important verses in my life. I have thought of this verse I gotta say more than a thousand times. I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think it's thousands of times. I've talked with other people about this particular passage, about this particular verse. I, I, don't, I don't even know how many times, right? And, and why? Why is it that important to me? Because there's lots of verses that are important to me, but this, this really is top 25 at least, right? That I've thought of over and over and over. It's because at different times in my life, I have defined myself either by how well I was performing how well I was doing, and in that, how other people saw me, because that was super important. If I'm, if I'm living for my performance, I very much cared about what other people thought of that performance and how they viewed me and what lens, or I've defined myself by my failure. And listen, I want you to hear, like, both of those were devastating to me. And in some occasions, they were pretty devastating to other people around me. Because I know in my self-righteousness, I led some people away from Christ because I was judgmental why aren't you better kind of attitude? Oh man, I have regrets there. 
but I've also basically lied to people, deceived them in my guilt and in my shame and in my hatred of myself. And here's the thing, both showed me I wasn't good enough. Because even in my self-righteousness, I would, re- I would prove again and again that I'm not the person that I portrayed to be. I'm not the person that I thought I was because I would fail again. And here's the thing, I couldn't bear the weight of either one of those things. I just couldn't bear, I couldn't consistently bear the weight of being good enough or being too terrible. But what is God telling us through Paul here? One of the most important ways that we gain Christ, one thing is to forget what lies behind. To forget what lies behind. And there's two sides of this. For, for Paul, as, as Paul did, this is about forgetting about our good deeds and accomplishments. Now listen, it's not that they don't matter. They do matter. If you're, if you're serving Jesus Christ and you're doing good deeds and you're doing good works, they matter. Scripture's going to teach us that they matter for an eternity. But this is about doing good, good deeds in a, in a sense of trying to earn something. Listen, your good deeds, your accomplishments for Christ, being a good Christian does not define you as a person. It just doesn't. This is not what makes you worthy or unworthy of God's love. And how often have we felt worthy or unworthy of God's love based on our performance? Listen, God loves you simply because he chose to love you, right? And for some of us, that's hard for us to understand. For those of you that have kids, is it hard for you to understand that you just love your kids because you do? Is your love for your children based on their performance of how well they're doing at a particular moment? No, you just love them because you love them, because they're your children. And we are the adopted children of God, brothers and sisters of Christ. God loves you because he loves you. We don't have to perform for that love. I can say this a hundred more times, and for some of us, it still wouldn't sink in. You're still not going to believe it. You're still going to try to perform. You're still going to try to earn the love of God, or you're going to try to earn your hate for yourself. Either way, it's all trash. It's all garbage. It's all the enemy trying to lie to you. God loves you because he thinks you're worthy of loving, because he created you in his image, in the image of his son, and he adores his son, and he adores you. In the same way, we need to not only let go of trying to earn it with our great accomplishments, we need to let go of our past sins and failures. Jesus paid it all. Hey, church kids, how many times have you saying Jesus paid it all in your life? How often have you failed to live up to that song that you sing a thousand times? We cannot move forward if we're still holding on to our failures, if we're still holding on to our past, and we're letting those things define us Now, here's the hard thing about sin, and it's the sin of self-righteousness, too. This fits also, but the sin of depravity. Um, We all know just because we've been forgiven, and we can move on from our sin, and we can move forward, that doesn't mean the consequences of our sin don't exist. Is that not right? There's still fallout to our sin. So when Paul's saying here, forget what lies behind, he's not saying ignore the consequences. Sometimes we have to deal with those consequences. But, but here's the beautiful thing about how God works. How many stories have you heard about radical life change happening? I'm talking about radical life change, change happening while someone is in jail. 
like people literally in jail dealing with the consequences of their sin, having to live in the weight every single day of the consequences of their sin, but in jail, finding Christ, rediscovering Christ, growing in Christ, seeing amazing things happen in Christ. When is a better time for you to realize that? Listen, Robert's given his testimony before. That's his testimony while dealing with the consequences of his meth addiction and dealing and stealing and being in jail. God came and reminded him, I love you. I've rescued you. I've forgiven you. When is a better time for you to feel the weight of forgiveness than when you're living in the consequences of your sin. That is the time that you feel the grace most richly because you know, I don't deserve this kind of love and forgiveness. I can't, God, I can't earn this. You're dang right, you can't earn it. This is about grace, not about works, not about performance, not about success or failure. This is about how much Jesus Christ loves you and what he gave so that you could be called his child. In the midst of consequences, sometimes God does his best work. And some of you are locking yourselves in a jail. You're locking yourselves in jail when God has already set you free. Like you've already gained your freedom. But you're letting the law or sin or your performance like hold you in a jail cell. By letting those things go, you gain more than freedom. You gain Jesus Christ. This is what Paul's talking about. So this is where, like, whatever Christian cliche you want to use, they actually work if you're viewing them through the context of the cross, right? Some of these I love and some of these I can't stand. But, like, listen, these kind of things hold true. Like, have you ever heard somebody say, just give it to God? What a Christian thing to say. If you're not a Christian, like, what the heck does that mean? But that's absolutely true. This is what this is talking about. Give it your, your successes, your failures, your past, whatever it is you're using to define you. Give that to God. And let him define you. Let him tell you who you are. Let, me, let him show you how much you, you love. Listen, man, I, I, I bet almost no non-Christian has any idea what this means. Lay it at the feet of the cross. But is that not true? It's right here. This is what this is talking about. Yeah, you're not good enough. But listen, all your failures, all your sins, all your self-righteousness, all, all the ways you define yourself other than Jesus, like lay it at the feet of the cross. That's where Jesus paid for it all. That's what that means. He paid for all of it. So lay it at the feet of the cross. Be resurrected with Jesus Christ. Be transformed. Be brand new. And listen and believe what God has done for you. And this is the one I like the least, but today it's really good. Let go and let God. You ever heard that one? Listen, if it's rooted in the truth of the cross... That's absolutely true. I think some people say that and have no idea what they're even saying, right? But let go and let God. Let go of your performance, good or bad, and let God transform you into the image that you were created to reflect so that you might gain Christ. Walk in the truth that God calls you. This is crazy. I say this all the time, but I, I'm still, it's still hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that God calls you and he calls me if we're believers in Jesus Christ innocent, blameless, holy, righteous, and not because of your work, but because of Christ's work. Let go of your past. Let go of your accomplishments. Let go of your failures, for this is how we gain Christ's church. But even that is not the end. There is a second part to forgetting what lies behind we forget what lies behind so that we might strain forward to God's call on our life. Again, I'm going to do this to you again. We're going to go back to the Greek again. This word straining forward is the same Greek word, the same Greek phase that would be used to describe a runner. Right? If a runner is running a race, 
They have to be focused on the prize. And by the way, if a runner's running his race, it's is, is typically the runner the one who, who organized the race and designed the race and, has, and, and came up with the prize for the race and the reward for the race. Is the runner usually the one that does all that? No, he's just, well, he's invited to come in and run the race. And if he runs the race well, he's going to win the prize at the end. That's what this is pointing to, the same thing. God has invited us in to run the race towards him, run the race towards the prize. And what this is saying here, if, we're con- if a runner is constantly looking back to see where everyone else is, he's going to get past. He's not going to win. He's not going to get the prize. And so what this is really saying, straining forward, run the race with your eyes focused on the prize, focused on the end, focused on what God's promising, and don't look back. You go forward as fast and as hard as you can. Do you know what that means? It means we have work to do, Christian. Jesus Christ did the foundational work, but he's also invited us in to run the race. That means that we worship him with everything in us. We look at our lives and see, how can I give this to Christ? How can I chase Christ? How can I talk about Christ? How can I proclaim Christ? How can I become more like Christ? It means being in the word and actually trying to live the things that God tells you to live. Not rooting your identity in how well you're following those commands, but following Christ because you're gaining Christ. You love Christ. You want to follow Christ because he has made you his own. So you're going to make him your own. We run the race with everything in us. As Paul says in Romans 12:1, we give our lives as a living sacrifice. Thinking, how can I give every aspect of my life for the glory of God? That's the work that you're to do. And sometimes that's prayer. Sometimes that's coming to church. Sometimes that's doing good work in your community. Sometimes that's loving the poor across the street. Right? There's so many things that God has called us to. There's so many things that God has commanded us to. At, at our church, we'd say the call of our life is to glorify God and advance the gospel. Right? That's what he's called us into. And the main way that happens is by giving every aspect of your life to worship God with everything in you because he has made you his own. All while keeping your eyes on the prize. All while keeping your eyes on the prize. And the prize is what Paul mentions in, later in the chapter in verse 21. That on that day, the day that we die, the day that Jesus Christ returns, God will transform our lowly bodies, our sinful bodies, into his glorious body, into his perfection. We'll be absolutely transformed and we'll be perfect on that day. Listen, church, I think we all, know, we all feel the weight that we aren't perfect right now. So we don't really know the joy. We don't really know the pleasure. We don't really know the peace of what it means to follow God perfectly as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ knew all these things, right? But right now we just get a taste of these things. And God wants us. Like if if somebody says like God wants to give you a taste of heaven, another cheesy cliche, absolutely true. That's what this is right now. He wants to give you a taste of what's going to be someday. Because listen, I'm not what I should be. Like you, I'm, I'm not perfect. I haven't obtained this. I haven't fully gained this. I haven't grabbed this. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I was. I am not what I was five years ago. I am closer to perfection because of the work of Jesus Christ in my life than I was five years ago. Praise God for that. And in that, I know, I, I mean, I felt it. I know the joy and the pleasure and the peace and the hope that, that comes with knowing Jesus Christ, gaining more and more of Christ. And God wants you to know that more and more and more and more every day, every year, every month until the day that he takes you home and you truly know what all those things are forever. We are fully embraced by his glory. On that day when we'll hear, I pray everyone in this room will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have finished your race. So come and claim your prize, the prize of the glory of Jesus Christ. But until that day, hey church, forget what lies behind. Forget what lies behind. Strain forward. Give your all straining forward to the call that God has put on your life to love him, to proclaim him, to gain him, to become more like him. Because in the end, church, that's how we gain Christ. And that's why Paul has so passionately been trying to tell us, listen, nothing, nothing, nothing in all the world is more important, is of more worth than this, than knowing and gaining Christ. Let's pray.